Okay, welcome back, everyone, to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I'm your host, Doug Kameen, and today I'm talking with Fred Donatucci, a longtime leader in the IT space in the Los Angeles area. Uh, welcome to the show, Fred. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. Awesome. So, so before we before we jumped on here, we were talking a little bit. I just passed through uh, through LA myself uh, on my way back from a, from a trip. I, now I was in Hawaii, but uh, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you, yeah, it was it was it was really rough. You know, I was I was bearing some burdens there. Uh, but it, it, you you're not from Los Angeles. I was just looking at your profile. So where 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 are you from? Um, well, I grew up I grew up in um, the greater Delaware Valley, Philadelphia area. So I grew up in Philadelphia. Spent around my, half my early life there, and then the other half in southern New Jersey. Oh my gosh! So, you actually yeah. that was that's close to where I live. I, I I'm in upstate New York, and I was just a couple hours away from from there. So, so we yeah. Were, then I went to school up in northern New Jersey. So, um, yeah, the whole area I've been bouncing around in there. Very nice, very nice. So, Fred, tell me, you know, we here on the the podcast, we love we love you know we're called dissected popularity nerds because we love to just slice and dice to figure out what makes people tick. What's what what makes a good leader in this space? So, for you, I'd like to let's just start. From your career perspective, where did you start, and you know, kind of like where? What do you What are you doing now, too? Okay, that's so that that's an interesting one because my career kind of when when I got out of college, first of all, um, I I was doing a little things around. Um, I don't know if you remember Kinkos. I was helping them with desktop publishing, mm-hmm. so I, I got yeah. into that. On the side, I, if you remember another thing called AOL, I was helping there. I was doing uh, AOL. Doing- Wait a minute. Was I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody. Well. Let's be clear. Like for our listeners, maybe half of them may not be familiar with AOL. So this was back. Were you back in the disc days? Were you in the CD days, or was it old enough that you were in the three point five inch like floppy disk days? No, no. It was. It was. It was a CD. Um, CD days. I started with three point five. Now I'm trying to remember. I was always more on the Apple side, but um. Mm-hmm. So, but back then. If I had to get on the internet, you had to go through an ISP that was either close by or you had to use AOL, which had the mm-hmm. branching out there. So I started using that. Uh, and in the 90s. To, yeah. And in order to get it for free, um, I volunteered to be a guide and to do beta testing. So, Oh, my God. Really, yeah. I totally remember guides on AOL. So I was a big um, uh, role play. I was, I'm totally going to be sound super nerdy here. Uh, I used to do Star Trek role playing games on AOL back in the 1990s. And I remember all the guides and all the various people and stuff like that. So you were an AOL guide. So now here I am meeting an actual AOL guide. <laughs> tell me more. Please tell me more. Yeah. So, so yeah. And that's when I first learned about macros. Hey, you violin your, you know, our terms of agreement, and you would just mm-hmm. spend them or put them on hold. So I was doing all that. And they asked me to do some testing too, so that's why I learned to do a little testing. Now, in my daytime, um, I, I I was working at Kinkos, then I decided to do something different. So I was doing test side support for Pico, which is Philadelphia Electric, um, and then um, I was doing Windows ninety five. No, yeah, Windows ninety five support at night on the phone. So I was trying to really submerge myself into Windows. I grew up on the Mac side. I had I, I was an Apple person. Um, then I, I was using Mac and then, so I was trying to really learn that because I said, I want to go into it is that something I always enjoyed doing. And, um, that's where I started getting involved there. And then I got tapped on the shoulder. They're saying, Hey, we, we, we're trying to implement SAP. We're looking for people who have some testing experience. And I, and I went to a company in Valley Forge and that's when I started my career learning about SAP, which then took me through a lot of my it career. I, I started doing consulting with Deloitte. Um, and then I did consulting with Grant Thornton, which became Atachi. 
a lot of manufacturing companies learning um, supply chain and really, you know, I'm just starting to solve solutions. And this is where I really got the taste of, hey, this is kind of exciting. I get to go in there. People have all these big problems and I get to come in and try to help them figure out how to solve it. And they're, you know, they're paying me for this fund. <laughs> so that was, that's when I really got involved in that. Um, the consulting went for a while. Then I decided, you know, I'm on a plane like all the time and I want to do something that's a little more closer to home. I started working for Honeywell mm-hmm. and I worked at a lo- local ki- location. Then Yen tapped me on the shoulder and said, can you come out to Phoenix for a while and help us with our SAP implementation? So then I was going back and forth to Phoenix um, got involved in their SAP COE, which is their center of excellence. And mm-hmm. I was helping them get a, get a blueprint across their, their division. Then decided, hey, this is the reason why I, I went away from consulting is all this driving back and forth. So I had a choice either relocate to Phoenix or stay in Southern California. That Phoenix, that Phoenix, that summer was very, very hot. So I decided I'm going to stay in Southern California. And then went to another company where I was a director of IT for another SAP implementation. And then my career did this weird change. Um, since I knew supply chain, um, I then went to Avery Dennison, which had no SAP, which had these AS400 systems. And I, and I was managing um, their IT for, for a division there, uh, mostly in the supply chain side. But it was my first um, non-SAP kind of technology. So I learned a lot of different stuff and how these things worked. And it was a great experience. I also got to sit on the supply chain leadership team. So for me, it's I really got even more exposure to you know how businesses work, how they solve problems, and how they you know what they're looking for. So that that gave me a great exposure, taking that technology and the business processes from my past, and driving into there. Then after around five years, I went over to Mattel, which is a toy company, which was a nice experience. Um, another also consumer products. Never and heard of me. Like, yeah, yeah, Barbie <laughs> and, and Matchbox. Of course, and of course, I'm kidding. These are this is these are some <laughs> this is a blue chip. Uh, this is the blue chip pedigree you're bringing to us here. So, so definitely uh, it, I'm enjoying was, hearing about it. It was nice. I mean, the difference there, you go into a conference room and you're having a meeting and people are playing with toys and then you'll have a little toy out there and you go in people's offices and you'll see Barbie up there, your posters of this stuff. I, I had matchbox bars on my desk. It, it, it was a nice experience, but there um, I got to focus on a lot of different stuff. So I, I was excited. I mean, the, the, the cool thing there, um, I, I worked on um, a big project and, learn around their trade spend and we were able to implement a new tool there using Salesforce. And that was exciting. We, you know, it was managing over a billion dollars of their spend and really helping us save money in that area. So that was it. So that was, that was fun to see that kind of a difference in the company. And then, and then, and then I shifted over to um, another company, um, manufacturing new indie container board um, was vice president of it there for three and a half years. And, and that was just taking this company. It was all these different um, um, entities, um, acquisitions, putting them together and, and developing an IT organization, hiring that group, consolidating everything together, um, setting up the cybersecurity area, and then doing a whole bunch of other little stuff around um, data and then planning for AI. So and that, that, that was a great experience too. It gave me a really good opportunity to, to, to look at the whole thing. And then when you look at the whole thing, you're like, wow, there's more stuff I got to learn. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's, that's great. No, thank you so much for sharing that. That is an amazing just just career arc to have. Hey guys, this is Phil Howard, founder of Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I just want to take a few minutes to address something. It has become fairly apparent, I'm sure all of you will agree, over the years that slow vendor response, vendor response times, vendors in general, the, the average is mediocre. Support is mediocre. 
Mediocrity is the name of the game. Not only is this a risk to your network security, because I've seen vendors on numerous occasions share sensitive information, but there's also a direct correlation to your budget and your company's bottom line. Not to mention the sales reps that are trying to sell you and your CEO and your CFO on a daily basis. That causes a whole nother realm of problems that we don't have time to address. Our back office program at Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, we've put together specifically for IT leadership, and it's on a mission to eliminate this mediocrity. And the best part is that we're doing this in a way that will not cost your IT department a dime. So if you'd like us to help you out, get better pricing, better support, and jump on pressing issues in minutes, not days, then contact us now so we can get on a, a call with you and conduct a value discovery session where we find out what you have, why you have it, and where you want to go and how we can improve your, your life, your IT department, and your company's bottom line. What you're going to end up with is, number one, just faster support from partners who care about your organization's uptime and bottom line. And because you're going to be able to access our $1.2 in combined buying power, you'll be able to benefit uh, significantly from historical data. And on top of that, you'll also benefit from the skills of hundreds of on-demand experts that we have working behind the scenes that are all attached to our back office support program. So if you'd like, again, none of this is ever going to cost you a dime. At the very least, it's going to open your, your eyes to what's possible. Let our back office team provide you the high-touch solutions and support that your IT team deserves so that you can stop calling 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND for support. Now, if you're wondering, what does this apply to? This applies to your ISPs, your telecom providers, all your application providers, whether you're a Microsoft shop or a Google shop, what you might be paying for AWS, even Azure, co-location space, any of those vendors that you're paying a monthly bill to, we can help you with. Hey, it's Greg, the Frenchman secretly managing the podcast behind the curtain. To request your one-on-one -on -one call, contact us at internet at popularit.net. And remember, it will never cost you a dime. So I want to zero, I'm going to zero in to start here to sign your most recent one. And, and the reason I want to zero out on that is because of what you, you just said about, about the part where you were bringing together companies that had M&A and you're building an IT organization from scratch. And I really think that's a, that's a really interesting story to tell and maybe to share here a little bit of, of some of the insights that you picked up from that. You know, you've got these functional businesses, you've brought them together, you're going to be building a new, a new IT operation or blending together teams that exist and in, in dealing with conflicts and other things that come up with that. Can you tell me a little more about that? And like, what was your experience? What, what lessons did you take away from that? That, that you, you know, you maybe we want to share with other folks uh, no, from there. Definitely. So I'll give a little context. When I first got hired, it was in the middle of the pandemic. So there were a lot of you know, people working from home and I, I got in there and you know, I, I was looking around and said, where is everybody? So, and they said, well, they're, they're working from home and it was a small group. So um, the hard thing at first was really understanding, hey, what do I have? And then I started you know, doing a whole first 90 days, understanding the organization, watching everything that's going on. The interesting thing is when I got hired, they were in the middle of an acquisition. So that was around 45 days into my my, my new career here. Mm -hmm. And I, I was learning everything. So, I mean, I said, hey, whatever you need me to do, let's get our team out there. We had another one, another group that was helping us. 
And I, I remember that weekend, I mean, one time I was giving out phones to these, to, to the new acquisition, swapping their old phones out, putting the new phones in. Um, but it, but, but it was, it was, it was an interesting experience, get to really understand how this, how this works. And, and the thing that, that really, that I really learned a lot of things about first is really getting that, that playbook down. Like, how do you, how do you bring all these people in together? Right. And uh, how do you see and pick and choose what things you do in the right order? And some things are on security. How do you, you know, secure that that structure first how do you get it up to right infrastructure how did they now transition it into yours once it's at a certain place and then put them on the same application stack so that mm-hmm. that was that was a lot of learning and getting a, a pattern down especially for a team that may have done things a little bit differently we were there before and then for me at the same time i'm trying to pull all these different acquisitions together into one big it team that usually we're working independently of each other um, so that was that was a very interesting thing to say. Hey, we're now one one new indie. So this is our this is now our mantra: one new indie, one team, one application base, one way to support um, our users, you know, one way of going to the business, and one you know this this one vision of of us consolidated together um, was an exciting thing to get the team rallied around. Mm. Yeah. So, and, and how many different teams did you end up integrating together here? Um, well, we had probably around four different teams. So we had one team that was semi-integrated across one of our divisions, which did our paper mills, and they produced you know, these big rolls of paper. Hmm. So they had a lot of their team there, um, and they had some consultants and contractors there. But the other teams, there were three packaging companies, and they were all disparate teams. So a small team here, a little bit bigger team here, and another team here, and then pulling out all together. So one thing was trying to find the right talent. Um, one of the one of the people that I work with and, and you know, great friend of mine today. Uh, he was doing a really, really good job in there. And he was, you know, an IT manager and he, you know, promoted him to be a director and take over that whole area. And he, and he just did a really good job of working with me to try to really pull that team together. So standardizing on our on our application stack, standardizing how we did things, working with the business leaders, having them talk a little bit, just share common best practices. So that was that was probably the little bit harder side um, to get that all together. And once that started gelling together, you know, everything started going in place. And um, there's some harder things you have to do, especially when you're taking some very, very old systems, maybe 20 plus years old and moving them onto your stack. Mm-hmm. But it was it was the good it was the best thing to do. So now you'd be able to see that whole business across one system. Uh, oh, yeah. So legacy systems transition. Now, I know you mentioned in when you were running down your 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 work history there, you mentioned legacy systems, so AS400 work and stuff like that. Like how how have you engaged in bringing up legacy systems and integrating them into uh, a current environment? Like what what tactics have you used and what strategies have you done to, to see that through? Yeah, I mean, I think the hard part is people just try to sometimes slam it into there and say, okay, all these things here, I'm going to map it over here and then voila, it's going to work magically on day one. And, and it doesn't always work that way because you have really have to understand what is everything they're doing. And some things don't really match right. And then you have to understand what did you mean by that? I think the language is very good, like defining these things. When you're creating a sales order, is that the same thing over here, right? If you're if you're understanding how to ship things out and you're looking for inventory, how's that look? So one of the basic things is really understanding how that, that company is running, understand what our model is, and then starting to look for those gaps and really define what those things are. And, and in a lot of these scenarios, especially over in, in my last company, there was a lot of gaps in there. And some of those gaps were things that can help the whole company. So we had to look at that and say, hey, this is we can do this a better way. And some things were, hey, we have a better way of doing it. Let's try this over here. So I think getting that list of everything, those, you know, what's my business process? 
understanding the gaps between where we're going, and then really defining what those things are and getting those experts in there and then testing, testing, testing. That was the big thing that we had to do. And you know, it took a little longer than we initially anticipated, but the solution we got at the end was a lot more solid than it could have been. And um, that was my concern when we first went in there. I, I wanted to make sure that we just don't throw something at people and they go, hey, this sucks or it's not working for me or whatever. And um, we got to a point where I think people were happy with that solution. Hmm. So I went through a process of migrating off uh, uh, some legacy systems myself, particularly at AS400 system uh, one time. And one of the things that that we focused on a lot, and, and I advocate for this, uh, is I, I refer to it as like no sacred cow process, if you will. You know, because yes. a lot of these legacy systems have so many things locked into them that are bi business processes, whether it's, you know, hey, there was a paper process and it had this form that did this and then somebody keyed it into the system and then they moved on. And yeah. I find that there's a strong tendency to carry that through in the new system design. Uh, and, and, you know, so then you end up in this situation where we all we've done is automate we, we took a new system and automated the old process into the new system. And then everybody's kind of scratching their head, wondering why they didn't really improve the outcome of what we saw. So how, how, how did you, how did you, I'm sure you encountered the same thing in your upgrades in, in your system. Yeah. What, what yeah. how did you, how did you overcome some of that with, uh, with the uh, teams that you were working with in the companies? Yeah. I, I think the hard part sometimes with that is even these sacred cows, if, if those cows been around for a long time, and they got automated, there's not many people know what that cow does or how it does it. <laughs> so that, that was always the first problem with some of these. You're like, I don't, I, I really don't, it's like a black box. So mm -hmm. the first thing is, like I said, you got, for us, we had to go back and understand if, what is this thing really trying to do and why are you trying to do it? And why is this, you know, is this really your secret sauce? Is this really the stuff that makes you different? And so for us, it was really, again, going back to those business processes, what are you doing in this step? Why is this step happening? And then, trying to compare and contrast different ways of doing it. If I can get you to the same place, but possibly use a couple of different steps and using what the functionality we have here, would that work for you, right? If your team can still pull up and, 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 and automatically know which order and which stock is getting matched together, but you're not doing it the same way you did before, but that same solution produces the same thing. They can still go out there, pick those things. Is that okay for you? And I think that's the thing you have to get them to is almost... You have to take them a couple steps to show them what the new world looks like because they think that the sacred, if you don't have that, what you call the sacred cow, mm -hmm. you know, life is over. <laughs> We're oh, not yeah. going to do it. People are going to quit. Your hair is going to fall out. No one knows how to make this thing work. And I think it's just really, you know, de you know, kind of taking that apart, decomposing it, understanding what it does. A lot of times I've been very lucky that, you know, the person who, you know, those skeletons, so to speak, of what's in that sacred cow. The person who put who buried those skeletons are still there. So in that mm -hmm. scenario, you can say, okay, what is this thing doing and why? And sometimes it's even better to go back to the context of where this came up in the first place. And usually it's a system that couldn't do a function and they started deal, building all these things around it. And it, you know, this function is so much more complex, but you don't need to go there. You can go somewhere else. And I think that's like I said, it's, it's that education of really breaking down that business process to understand what you're trying to do. Yeah. So yeah, the skeletons and the sacred cows you know somebody somebody just there's somebody that loves carbon paper you know that you know that there's that form and you know you get a copy and and you know jane in accounting gets the second copy and that is by far the best way to do this right obviously we must follow that procedure
how many times have we all encountered that in so many, so many environments, you know, and, and that's getting that solved is one of the biggest challenges that we run into in, you know, in, in system, big system migration work, I would think. Um, Yeah, I agree. You know, how do you, how do you clear that out? in in make way for the new stuff uh toughest conversation you could possibly have uh but you know you've 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 been there a lot uh it it, it seems like uh and and made you know successfully made those types of transitions at various intervals which is pretty awesome yeah uh, i yeah i think it's difficult i mean sometimes in the beginning you're probably you want to do those three-part forms and then you start thinking like hey i saw what happened last time i, I don't think this is probably let me challenge this a little bit more because I, I don't think it's really going to help them, right? And and today, you know, with all this automation you can have and p- emails and text messages and everything else, there's no reason re- really to have it. And it, it's kind of, you know, those kind of things, you know, they, they are the they are the other sacred cows in the organization. I, this is how we did it. And I need mean, these three-part forms and you look around and you see all these file cabinets and I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. Even in my office, we're we're slowly we're slowly getting rid of filing cabinets filled with stuff. We're like, oh, look yeah. at this box. It has it has files from 2014 in it. Maybe we should get rid of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, changing gears a little bit here, uh, you know, we 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 just spent some time talking about some of your strategies and the leadership tools that you use and where you've come from. But as a leader, and and this gets to I think to the heart of what the podcast is about is is trying to understand what makes good leaders in the IT space. You started, you've you've been in leadership for a very long time. You know, uh, uh, just you know, going back, you've been in for probably twenty five years in leadership roles. Uh, what what things? Well, I ask one question. Two. I have a couple questions here. The first one sure. I would say is when you first were stepping into those leadership roles. At what point did you recognize that you were you are now a leader and not just a staff person in the you know a, a team a member of the team you are now a, you are now leading the team yeah and I, and i and i think that there's a little bit of that when i was in consulting because i was a you know i was a project manager for for one of our um implementations it was um uh it was, it was a manufacturer of of different electronic components and you know, i was leading that and you know, I, I was a senior consultant. I was doing all these different things out there, and I was a manager. But, I, but this one was, you know, you you were responsible for this. So uh, I think that's when I really re- first I got the assignment, and then I got in there and, and I started doing it, and I was like, wow, this is different. <laughs> and if you ever read that book, uh, "What Got You Here Won't Get You There," that's mm-hmm. that's when it started clicking in my head. There's there's different skill sets that I have to use here, and um, the good thing at the time, um, I had a really good. Um, leader um who was i was reporting to and he was a he was really good he was pragmatic and uh he really helped me along the way you know helped me understand you can't please everyone every time uh you have to be the safety net there was a lot of things that he taught me in there mm. uh, but that was the first time when i saw that transition of like you're not just doing the work but you're also the one doing all these other stuff and those soft skills and the communication skills and all that stuff coming in there and that's that's that was that first transaction transit uh, transition I really liked it too. I, I mean, you know, you get involved in the IT because you love to solve problems, right? And you want to, you want to, you want to help fix things, make things better. Mm-hmm. And then when you got involved, you know, in project management, there that was my first kind of leadership role. Um, that you know, I, I had that same kind of feeling. I was like, wow, I get to help this do better. I get to help solve the problem. I help the team go forward. So that was that was my first entrance, and then it was pretty exciting. 
That's awesome. So, so this the book you mentioned, uh, what you, what got you here, what get you there, by uh, Marshall Goldsmith. So, tell me a little more about the lessons you took from that book. Wow. So, <laughs> it's it the, the biggest lesson I think I learned is, um, you know, the, the way they build it up is you, you know you do all these different things and you and you keep on getting promoted and you keep on getting promoted and then all of a sudden these people get promoted into management or leadership and you're like it's a whole different skill sets. And so it's, it's the one thing is you got to learn these new skills because that's what you need to be successful. But the harder part is you got to let go of some of the other stuff you were doing mm. and you got to start having other people do it. And, um, when I first got involved in this management leadership, I saw myself trying to gravitate back to the stuff I used to do. So, mm -hmm. you know, in a, in a project, Hey, let me help out and solve that problem in the supply chain. Let me figure out these solutions. And that wasn't my role anymore. My role was to help them do that. Um, and help them, you know, do that better, or get their obstacles out of the way, or you know, just get the project done. And I think um, reading that book and going through that, it just really opened my eyes that uh, it's it's different. Right, you have to have that transition period. You have to let go of some of those skills, um, not the skills, but you have to let go of using them as part of your career, and then start embracing and learning these other things. And I think that was probably one of the biggest lessons I learned. And um, I actually, it's funny, I keep on giving that book to my new leaders and, and saying, hey, this is something you need to read because it really, it's really going to get your mind in the right mindset. Mm -hmm. well, well, hopefully, you know, maybe, maybe Marshall Goldsmith is listening to our podcast and he'll be like, he'll be like, <laughs> oh man, this is awesome. And, and then we'll all get free copies of the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but so, yeah, so, you know, you mentioned, I would, I'm going to, touching on one of the things that you brought up there about how people get promoted into these different roles. And it, it, there's a name for, for that when they, when people kind of fail, it's, it's colloquially known as the Peter principle that people sometimes exactly. get promoted into one role, one, one step, a role beyond that for which they are, you know, suited Maybe. more essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that can happen. And, and sometimes, you know, recognizing that is a, I don't want to call it a limitation of folks because it's, it could be challenging to describe somebody and say, hey, your limitation is that you're not good. At, you know, you won't ever be this leader. And that's that's not true. You may not be this leader, but you can be that leader, you know, and that's right. I think that's an important distinction to make with folks is that not every role is right for for you, but every but that doesn't mean that there's not a role out there that is. Um, and when I, I just want to plug this out because you've got so much experience here to to share with folks. But when you've encountered somebody who's who's kind of crossed that threshold um, where they haven't there, you, you've got a team leader, a, you know, staff person, if you put them into their first leadership role and lo and behold, like it's not working out the way you hoped. Uh, yeah. how, what, how do you, how do you handle that? How, how have you, how have you dealt with that? Yeah. And that, and, and that's where, and that's where some, you, you get these sometimes more uncomfortable conversations and it's not, they're not bad off the way uh, when you first start, but you're, you're basically going to say, Hey, do you, you ask a lot of like leading questions. Hey, you know, I noticed that you were struggling in some of those areas around here. Do you enjoy what you're doing? Is this is this something that you that's fun for you? Do you do you have a passion for it? Right? Um, is there something that I can help you with? So sometimes you're know, trying to offer that help. I, is there something I can help you do something better? And then you, you kind of let them talk because a lot of times when people are in this role, they're just waiting for someone to say, "Hey, by the way, you know, there, there's a way out." Like some of them, they're like, you know, "I'm over my head." I like this title. I wanted to be quote unquote a manager, but it's, mm -hmm. it's I'd rather be go back to becoming a, a, like a network engineer. I'm going to be go back to being like a cybersecurity analyst. Whatever these things are, where they came from, 
that's the passion and that's the thing they enjoyed. And sometimes you just you just have to make sure say it's okay, and we can figure out a way to get you back there. Um, and it doesn't mean any, anything wrong. You tried something, and you know we don't we won't know what we're good at if we don't try something and fail. Right? You got to fail sometimes, and sometimes you fail and say, hey, how can I do it better? And I, this is something I really enjoyed doing. I messed up on this, but I'm going to learn from this and do it better. Sometimes you just fail and say, this wasn't the right thing for me, right? I looked at this. I tried this. I wasn't happy. People's problems. I have to talk to all these people, whatever it is. And then you you know, you know, try to have those conversations. And then sometimes they still want to be in the role. And then you have to say, okay, let me try to help you. And then you have to, you know, you try to guide them along and say, listen, this is really stop not working. I don't know if this is going to work for me. I don't see the performance. So what's, let's talk about what options. Where can we do, right? What do you want to do? You want to look at, you know, elsewhere. Do you want? Can I help you find a different role in the organization? Maybe, maybe you're bringing you back there. But those are the kind of conversations you usually have to have. Um, the one thing I've I've learned in some of those situations, at least being on the other side, and when you're getting conversations about how to improve, is feedback is a gift. And I that was a hard one to learn. And I think that I, I keep on trying to tell people that I'm not against you. I'm going to give you feedback because I think you need to hear it. People sometimes want to tell you what you think you want to hear. But the harder things to, uh, to, to teach people on is their blockers, right? This mm-hmm. is something that you're not good at. This is something that you don't see and you have to develop. And I want to help you either develop that or show you that this is not for you. And there's probably, you know, we can help you find out where your strengths are because you're great over here. You know, you knock it out of the park. And if you want to go back there, that's perfect. I'll, I'll help you get there. Mm-hmm. So it, it tough feedback is there's a, now I'm, I'm a, uh, a purveyor or proponent, I should say, of um, Brene Brown's uh, Dare to Lead. I, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to read Dare to Lead, but I'm actually reading uh, that right now. It's kind of funny. I'm halfway through uh, it. Oh yeah, Dare to Lead is a is a is a great book that the, the it really focuses on the interpersonal aspects of why we want to do certain things and why people want to you know kind of engage in certain behaviors and like the understanding be- behind them to help help you move through that. Uh, but one of the pieces, uh, the, you know, they call it like Brene-isms is, uh, uh, brave conversations and, and having brave conversations is really a core tenet of being, being successful in the, the ideas that, that she's brought forward is what, what makes successful leaders. And, uh, you know, I think you touch on that in, you're having that tough conversation, the feedback, understanding that it's always a gift and understanding that when I, I, I give it, it's it, as long as I'm not being judgmental in the feedback too, you know, cause there, there is, there is good feedback and there's bad feedback, you know, there's, exactly. there's, you know, you sucked at this, you need to do it better next time, pal, you know, your job's on the line. Don't, don't, you know, don't hose this up next time. Um, yeah. you know, that feedback isn't helpful, but there's, but if somebody's done something wrong, you just don't want them doing it over and over again. So you need to find the way to have that conversation. And the tougher the conversation, that's where the brave conversation comes in, is that you know, you yourself have to be brave to have the right conversation with somebody, even if it makes you uncomfortable get it, uh, doing it. And and as a leader, that's like one of those, that's one of those things that we just, it's, I don't want to say it's intrinsic, but the best leaders can, it seems natural, it seems second nature, even if it freaks them out the whole time they're doing it. You know, like, yeah. Now, I, 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 actually, I love that book. I mean, it, the, the theme, one of the themes that hit me over and over again was just the courage you have to need. You need to be a leader, and um, and and you're different, right? You're the one that they're looking for for that inspiration, right? And mm-hmm. and and she was talking about vulnerability, 
but it's not like victim vulnerability. You can't say, well, I, I, I feel this. You have to say, I understand that, but we're going to go forward and have that passion. And I think that you know, all reading her book, it's you read that book, you're almost like motivated. Okay, I'm going to go out there and do this with my team now because it's, 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 it really sets off a lot of passion. You know, like, hey, I just want to be a great leader. But I, but I, but I did learn a lot from that because you're reading that, you're seeing like, you're contrasting. Hey, when when I had that feeling, like sometimes you can tell when these are not comfortable situations because you're like, mm-hmm. sometimes your body's like saying, I really don't want to have this. Let's have this tomorrow. And then your brain goes, Hey, I'm a leader. I'm going to show courage. I'm going to jump in this. I want to have this conversation today. And I think sometimes it's just that training, right? That I, I feel this motion in myself that I'm going to do this. I know it's the right thing to do. And I'm going to do it anyway. And that's where the courage comes in. And then, like you said, it, it eventually starts becoming more, more of a habit. And, a, and it's almost really, really good at it because they've been doing it for such a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm trying to remember now. So because it's been it's been a few months since I last read Dare to Lead. Was it I said brave conversations? Is it brave conversations or is it courageous conversations in the book? I'm trying to remember. I think it's maybe courageous. I'm trying to remember. I'm going to listen to it. Yeah, I, 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 you know, because like here, here we are immortalized in a podcast, and I'll be the guy who gets who quotes the book wrong. So I'm going to put both in the podcast and put the disclaimer that I may have misremembered it in case that comes up at some point in you know in in 2034, you know, when somebody listens to the podcast and for our artifacts of the past. Good point. It's a way of it's the right way of doing it. That's right. So, so speaking of the past. Uh, for you, you know, we talked about the time you you understood you were a leader, but yeah, it, this sometimes gets into the more humorous aspects of of uh, exploring our past. How did you get into technology and computing to begin with? Like, like you know, some people were like, "Oh man, I, from the time I was like two, I had computers in my hands," you know. But some people were like, "Nope, didn't do it." And then when I was like in college, something happened, and I, you know, I walked into a computer lab, and next thing you know, I was really I was doing it all the time. So, like, what's your story? How did you how did you come to get into the technology field um, from like as a kid, were you destined for this or or what? I think I, I think so. My, both of my parents were educators, so um, they both both grew up as teachers, and then they both became principals. And my father became a superintendent. So mm. there's a lot of learning around the house. And then so in our house, we first had the Apple IIe when I was a little oh. boy. That <laughs> thing was in front of me, and I fell in love with that thing. Did it have and Oregon so, Trail? Sorry, did it have Oregon oh. Trail? Uh, yeah. you, and I had, yeah, of course, I had an, an Olympics game. It was all these little fun, cool things that I was just like, this is neat. And so, um, first it was the Apple IIe, then we had the, the original Mac, and then I also had an Atari 400. Um, mm. And I had, I remember, I had basic and a pilot cartridge. And that's when I started tinkering around a little bit. So, you would think that, hey, I fell in love with programming. Now, I thought it was programming is really cool, but it's probably someone else's job besides my own. I, I, I can understand I can do it, but there's a patience that I, that I think I didn't have. But I, but, but I started tinkering around with it. I love the applications and I love really finding things that it can help me solve to do. Like when I started got my first job, I had a spreadsheet and I was keeping track of it back and like how much I was making, how much I was earning and all that kind of neat stuff. And I just felt I felt about how I can start using computers for everything I did, um, and that 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 was really the basis of it. And you know, like my house and everything, my, I, I was helping people you know, set up their computers. You know, some of my friends were more the Commodore people or the Tandy people, but you know, we were the Apple uh, people. Ooh, yes, the Commodore people. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 I'll, you know, I'm going to summarize. You spent your child dying of dysentery a lot. Yeah. 
you know, on the Apple IIe. And then later on, you, you, you figured out that you could use those things to do all your, to do all your tech stuff, you, you know, and, and, and tinker. Um, oh, yeah. That's so, fun. And so, so you went to school for economics, economics, economics with a philosophy minor. So, nice. yeah. So I was like, I want to be this business guy. I want to, you know, I like business. I want to do it. But I always like technology too. So it's kind of funny. And like you think about that and you get involved in it. And then my career eventually drifted to, you know, business consulting with technology. <laughs> So the two eventually came together and I was like, wow, I love this. This is great. These are the two things I love to do. I love the technology mm-hmm. and I love to learn about business and how to solve problems. And I think that's, that was exciting that it, you know, it came together. Yeah. The economics thing is neat because I get to have a business perspective or seeing things differently than just a pure technology. And I, that's when I always put my, my business hat on and I, and I started learning to try to be, you know, a leader with a technology tool belt instead of an IT person, you know, mm-hmm. the us versus them, the business versus IT, like how I can just be the business or be the person doing this, but you just, you have a different tool belt than someone else. Yeah, absolutely. It, we've explored that here on the podcast uh, uh, on a number of different occasions, because there's so many different backgrounds of how people came in to, to be leaders in the IT field. But one of the more, like, I think that the traditional thought process is that most everyone comes from an IT background, but I, I would venture a guess. And I say this from the the, the purely scientific um, statistic that 93% of all statistics are made up is that <laughs> is that most or a, 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 certainly a large fraction, maybe even a large, or, or, sorry, a majority of IT people don't necessarily, IT leaders, I'm sorry, don't necessarily have a specific IT background and came into IT leadership through some other path. Um, yeah. You know, it's so common to have folks that are like, no, I went to school for this in your case, I went to school for economics, or I went to school for this other thing. And, and somewhere along the way, it intersected with technology, and I loved it. And, and, and therefore, I, I made that switch into it, you know, and um, that exposure, you know, you, you alluded to it. And, and when you were sharing just a minute ago, that exposure really gives you a certain amount of breadth. And in, in terms of understanding other things, um, that you might not have, you know, if you had just gone to like, a, you know, through the computer science route, if you will, into yeah. IT leadership, you may have had to pick up from other places. Uh, so, that, you know, there's, there's certainly a high amount of value in that. And that's, that's pretty cool to be able to do that. Yeah, it's just, and it, and it gives me the, uh, kind of the grace to ask some dumb questions sometimes, but those are the kind of questions that no one's asking because they all assume something. So it's kind of fun. I mean, I, get, I, I tell you, my last job, because um, it was everything, I just learned so much between um, the networking between the infrastructure, between cybersecurity, it, and it was great because I, I just love learning, <laughs> learning stuff and how how to solve those problems and just trying to do it. it and it was it's, it's just a great it was a great it's been a great career so far. I love it. At Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, we expect to win and we expect our IT directors to win. And one of those areas where we know that we can help you win is internet service providers. As an IT director tasked with managing internet connectivity, few vendor relationships can prove more painfully frustrating than the one with your internet service provider. The array of challenges seems never-ending, from unreliable uptime and insufficient bandwidth to poor customer service and hidden fees. It's like getting stuck in 
in rush hour traffic, dealing with ISPs can try one's patience even on the best of days. So whether you are managing one location or a hundred locations, our back office support team and vendor partners are the best in the industry. And the best part about this is none of this will ever cost you a dime due to the partnership and the sponsors that we have behind the scenes at Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Let us show you how we can manage away the mediocrity and hit it out of the park. We start by mapping all of the available fiber routes and we use our 1.2 billion in combined customer buying power in massive economy of scale to map all of your locations, to overcome construction fees, to use industry historical data, to encourage providers to compete for the lowest possible pricing, to negotiate the lowest rates guaranteed, and to provide fast response times in hours, not days. And we leverage aggregators and wholesale relationships to ensure you get the best possible pricing available in the marketplace. And on top of all of this, you get proactive network monitoring and proactive alerts so that you're not left calling 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND to enter in a ticket number and wonder, why is my internet connection down? In short, we are the partner that you have always wanted who understands your needs, your frustrations, and knows what you need without you having to ask. So we're still human, but we are some of the best and we aim to win. This all starts with a value discovery call where we find out what you have, why you have it, and what's on your roadmap. All you need to do is email internet at popularit.net and say, I want help managing all of my internet garbage. Please make my life easier and we'll get right on it for you. Have a wonderful day. So just thinking here for a second about you, you came up in you came up in all these different paths to to IT leadership. Or I'm sorry, this long arc of IT leadership, and you've been doing this for a long time. But you've also so because you've been doing that for so many years, you've seen so many shifts, seismic shifts in technology. You know the things that you were doing in 2005 as an IT leader are pretty dramatically different than the things you're doing here in 2024 as as an IT leader. Um, What's shocked you the most or or been the most like like kind of like earth shattering for you in terms of what we've been able to do and how technology has changed, having seen so much of that arc? I, I think the biggest thing for me um, has been the speed of how IT, IT and technology has been changing. I mean, it just seems I mean, you always say, hey, things are always getting faster and faster. The ability of, of things to change and change so drastically has been amazing. And and you know, for the last couple of years, we're talking about data and now we're talking about AI and AI and data are so interrelated. That for me has been, it's been, it's been amazing. And then you start looking at all these different use cases of AI. For me, I was like, wow, this is stuff that you went from like here to here. And now it's a straight up line of how mm -hmm. these different things are doing and how IT can get involved. And it's not just something that can help you know, change something, but it's drastically transforming something. It's like, it's almost like the, you're going back into the late 1800s and this is, it's a brand new industrial revolution when factories and everything came together. This is the same kind of like change and people don't even realize it yet, but it's that shift is coming there and you can find AI to do almost anything. But I think this is the biggest change that I've saw so far. And I think it's, it's, it's one of those situations that either I'm going to understand and how to be part of it, or, or if you resist it, you're, it, it's going to kind of like you got to play catch up. And I don't know if, it, if you can, because it's going so fast. I feel like isn't the buzzword for some of this stuff about the technology changing? Is it like the they call it like the fourth industrial revolution? Is is a I think that's what you commonly get bantered around about. Okay. You know how 
technology is now in, you know driving change. Uh, the, the the tools of technology are, are rapidly driving so much change in our society and in the way we work and the way we interact with each other and things like that. So yeah, yeah. so take a little break, ask a couple of you know some humorous questions. Not that we we had some we have some humorous asides here, but I'm going to go back to your Apple IIe and I'm going to okay. ask, what was your favorite game on there? I mean, I, I jokingly oh mentioned Oregon Trail, but I don't know if uh, you know that was so. <laughs> I'm trying to think right now. So on the Apple IIe. Or maybe more maybe any system when you were a kid. I mean, you mentioned you had an Atari yeah, 400, yeah, which yeah. that's that's a that's a that's a pretty unique system. There's not a lot of Atari 400 people out there. No, no, there's not. It's it's like a it's it's, it's it was a cross between the Atari 2600 and going to like a mini uh, like a personal computer. So that was yeah. I think the big so I remember Castle Wolfenstein when I was a kid. Castle Wolfenstein. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. And then there was another one. It was an Olympics game, and I remember that game. And it was it was it was it was probably the cheesiest game. But I remember they played the national anthem when you won or different. So that was one of my fun games, just because it was such a neat little thing. Um, I don't know if this was my fun game, but the one thing I remember because I'm going back to the Atari 400 now is when some of these games came, they were on cassette tapes, mm-hmm. and you had a little cassette tape, and it would play music while it was loading. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I remember like a couple of these games. I can't remember what game it was now, but I remember I would wait and then play this dun, 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 and it was music's playing for like around two minutes while they while, while would load in. So it was not 3.5s. It wasn't it wasn't floppy disk. It wasn't CDs or DVDs. It was a cassette tape that was loading the program <laughs> in. So Oh man! I, I, when, when I was a kid, we had I, I had a cassette tape thing on too. I didn't use it very much, but um, it was a TI ninety nine four A, and it, yeah, so yeah, the cassette tape you could record, like you could program something to record your program to the cassette tape. Yeah, such it's, it's different times. I know it's 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 wild. It's wild to think about it. So, so Fred, as we're we're kind of coming to the end of the podcast here, one of the things we'd like to ask our guests to leave us with is. What what advice or lessons would you want to share with other members, you know, other uh, listeners, uh, listeners of our podcast? So people in, you know, people who are maybe aspiring to become IT leaders or they're new in the IT leadership space. What what advice do you have for them? Yeah, that's that's a great one. For me, the the thing that we keep on talking like around all the leaders, the one thing we keep on asking for is, you know, can I find someone who can think critically? Can I find someone dependable? So. I think the great thing for someone who wants to be a leader um, is, and it's not just IT, but it's but IT definitely works in this area. Is um, be the person who said I can do that, or I'll figure it out, right? And raise their hand and be dependable and do it. You know, organiz- people in these organizations really want people who can get things done and figure things out. Never stop learning. That's the other thing. So keep at least you don't have to be an expert, but you have to know about it so you can have those conversations, understand how things work. So raise your hand, say I can do it, figure things out. Never stop learning. And then uh, make sure you you tell yourself to have fun along the way. And I think that's the other part mm. too. Just don't take yourself too seriously. The mm. journey's kind of fun. People sometimes get over over excited about the goal. I want to be a CIO or I want to be a VP or whatever. But those steps along the way are, are some of the best parts of my career. And I think people should really enjoy those steps as you go through it because they're they're kind of fun. Mm. Mm. Great, such such great such great advice, and just be able to share that. So, Fred. We appreciate appreciate your time and, and taking it to invest with us here on dissecting popular IT nerds, and uh, 
we look forward to to seeing what your adventures take you to in the future. Uh, and uh, you know, so best best of luck to you in in uh, as you move through those. Uh, and for everyone listening, we'll look forward to seeing and talk. Or well, we won't see it because we're on an audio podcast. But we will be we will be coming to your podcast uh, sometime soon here with another episode. Uh, and look forward to it. So thank you. Take care. Thank you very much. <laughs>